Welcome to the Empowering Midlife Wellness Podcast, where we talk about everything to do with midlife women's wellness and creating the best second half of life. I'm your host, Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. I'm a board-certified gynecologist, certified menopause practitioner and hormone replacement specialist, as well as an ICF-certified life and leadership coach and lots of other things. So if you want to check me out and learn about my private practice and other offerings, my website is www www.drsusan.com. That's D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com. It's my commitment to stay neutral by not accepting advertising dollars from sponsors. So all of these episodes are offered freely. And the best way that you can help this podcast is to share it with your friends, leave a positive review, and also keep in mind this is simultaneously posted in video format on YouTube, where you can find me by searching for Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. This week on Empowering Midlife Wellness, I'm talking a little bit more about mental well-being and how setting aside some quiet space for ourselves can be so important to just remember what our core values are and to get back in alignment with what those are. Hi friends, and welcome to this week's episode. You know, I've been talking a lot about hormones and weight management and vitamins and supplements and all of these things are so important for empowering midlife wellness, which is what we're all about here. But going back to my other hat that I wear as a coach and as a spiritual person, I wanted to talk a little bit about just mental health because really that's the most important thing, I think, isn't it? So Talking about that, I think, once in a while is really critical. So, you know, we've got all these different things working for us now. We've got our hormones balanced. We're working on exercise and eating good food, and that's terrific. But many of us are still living in a place where we feel really stressed. Anxiety is prominent. Some of us are still having trouble sleeping, worrying about things, dealing with self-loathing and feelings of not being worthy. Does any of that ring a bell? Because I hear about that every day. And I suffer with that too, because we're all human. And guess what? We're all unique and different, but we all share a whole lot of things as well. So I went this weekend to a three-day silent meditation retreat. That's something that I do as often as I can. Now, I'll tell you, I actually haven't been to a silent retreat since 2019, since before COVID, because they were all kind of shut down, and I really missed it. People ask me, why would you go to a silent meditation retreat? I would rather set my hair on fire than sit in silence for three days. So I wanted to tell you why I do it, why you might want to do it, or how you could incorporate some of these things just into your normal day, because that's not something that's available to everybody. It's a real luxury to be able to do that. And I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity to do these things sometimes. So let's just talk through why someone would do that, what you might get out of it, and how we might be able to apply some of those things to our day-to-day life, just to have a little bit more peace and understand ourselves a little bit better. So Why do we do a silent retreat and what's it all about? So I have a particular teacher that I love. Uh, His name's Benny Ferraro. He's in San Francisco for any of you who want to check him out. Uh, So silent retreats are, you know, in different spiritual traditions, but it honestly doesn't matter. 
Uh, this particular one was in a Jesuit retreat center. So that being said, it was a retreat that was following the Buddhist tradition of meditation. So just to say there were people there from every type of spiritual tradition, and we don't want to get hung up on that so much, more just into the wisdom that could be offered through any of these spiritual traditions and just putting them all together. So we sit on a cushion or in a chair, if that's our preference, and we meditate. And there's some instructions But what is that all about? What's happening when there's a room of 70 people, which there were, there were 70 people at this event, which was amazing. We're not talking to each other. We're not communicating with each other in any other way. We're just sitting with our own self and our own thoughts. And the purpose of meditation, if there is one, we don't want to get too goal-oriented thinking about this either or making it another thing we have to become an expert at is simply to sit quietly and be able to observe our thoughts. So the idea behind any type of meditation tradition is to observe our thoughts, but not believe our thoughts. And when we sit in that quiet space, after some time, it's quite easy to see that our thoughts are arising and passing away. They're not really under our control. And most of them are a bunch of nonsense just yakking about something or other, thinking about the past or the future, generally taking us out of the present moment and not generally leading in a very positive direction. The mind wants to start planning. It wants to start complaining. It wants to start judging. It's really interesting just to sit still and watch that happen like an independent observer. So we're kind of sitting off to the side, watching our minds, One of the instructions I like a lot is imagine sitting at a train station and you're watching a really entertaining train go by. Maybe it's a circus train or something that's got lots of exciting things on it that you want to look at, but just allowing it to go by. And then once in a while, you'll kind of wake up from a trance and realize that you actually jumped on the train and now you're down the road a few miles. Well, you just get off the train go back to the station and start over. So there's no part of this that expects that we're going to be perfect at this task of watching our mind. The fun part is watching the way we drift off and then come back. And it's in the coming back that we can feel that we're coming back home. And that's where the juicy part is. Not that there's anything wrong with leaving and jumping on the train, because it happens. We're all human. There's not a person in the world who sits down to meditate without their thoughts taking them off on a little fantasy journey. But it's the ability to stop for a moment, realize that we're off on a fantasy journey, and just come back to the present moment that makes it such a beautiful adventure. So we're sitting on this cushion for 30 or 45 minutes doing that, watching our thoughts, watching our minds go off into thought and then come back to the present moment. And what does that do for you and why would you want to do that? What that teaches our brains is that we have a choice of where to pay attention, which is really an incredible understanding. What an amazing thing to realize that we have a choice where we pay attention. And furthermore, where we pay attention actually colors and flavors our experience. So if I pay attention to my worries about the past or the future or fantasies about what I'm going to do next or 
thinking about how much I hate sitting on this cushion or wishing I was somewhere else or all the normal things that happen when you're doing these activities. And then I'm able to bring myself back and pay attention to my breathing, pay attention to some qualities that are really in alignment with my core values like love and kindness, compassion, appreciation, generosity, forgiveness, all of those lovely, wholesome beliefs that we all share. If I can learn from that experience that I have a choice of whether I pay attention to those qualities or if I pay attention to my mind which is usually telling some kind of story that's not true and creating anxiety and discomfort. Isn't it wonderful to be able to choose to come back to those qualities that are really more in alignment with my core values? So we get to sit in a quiet space. We do not have phones. And I can tell you that is the most amazing experience to actually turn your phone in. We do it in a kind of ceremonial way. And you don't get it back for three or four days. It's all optional. I mean, nobody's forcing you to do this. But 30 minutes after I gave my phone away, I could feel my blood pressure come down. I mean, literally just not having that phone and knowing that it was not a choice or that I'd made the choice to give it away, but I was not going to get it back. Such freedom to not be attached to wondering what's going on on the phone. I mean, what a beautiful space. And of course, the facility knew the phone number to call if I had an emergency or what have you, but it's really okay to put your phone down for three or four days. Nothing bad happens. What an amazing freedom. So without that distraction, because it it is a distraction, if if I had had my phone, I would have been sitting there wondering, you know, when I'm going to be able to look at it to check my text and so on. But without it, I could just be free of that distraction. And then freeing ourselves from any other possible distractions, which is why the silence is a a tradition. We're just simply staying in our own space, not talking about it to other people, not sharing our experiences with other people, at least not till after the silence is broken. And just doing that process of observing how when we go off into thought, it's almost always always in past, future, worry, rumination, judgment, shame, blame, etc. Or fantasy, maybe we're fantasizing about something pleasant, but we're not in the present moment. And then again, recognizing that we actually have a choice and we have the ability to turn around and come back to sit in the space that's in alignment with our core values. I am sure yours are similar to mine because The other 70 people had similar ones. (laughs) Kindness, compassion, generosity, appreciation. I don't always abide in those. I rarely abide in those, in fact, during the busy workday because we're so busy. Our minds are so busy thinking and planning and doing that just having that space, and we do have to intentionally create it. Oh, I remember I remember now what my core values are. I forgot about that for a few days or weeks or months. And isn't that incredible that we each have the ability to choose where we put our attention? So so that's why people do these things. And, you know, a silent retreat in the traditional Buddhist tradition is something that might not appeal to everybody 
or many people. (laughs) So how do we put these things into our daily life? Well, some of the things are just so simple. Let me give you some examples of some things that happen at this particular retreat, because I've been to lots of others, and they're all similar, but all different. Here's an example of something that you could do, and I could do every day. First of all, I could simply commit, as I have done, to creating a similar type of space every day for 20 or 30 minutes. It's not for three days, but without a phone, in relative silence, in a quiet space, where I can do that practice every day, just to remind myself that yes, I do actually have a choice where I pay my attention. And in that choice, that will flavor my experience. And just remembering that every day. You brush your teeth every day, you eat every day. There's a lot of things that we do every day. We check our phones every day. Many of us are on social media every day. Some of us exercise every day. There's a lot of things that we've prioritized as being important enough to do every day. So I'm just throwing out there that this is important enough to do every day. Maybe it's the most important thing to do every day. You know, so start with five minutes. If you can't do it every day, that doesn't mean it's not worth doing it when you can. But for me, I recommitted to doing that every day. It's that important. And it does not matter what spiritual tradition you come from. So here's another thing you can do uh, that's easy to do at home during your busy day. One of the uh, wonderful suggestions that was given in between the sitting and meditating, we did what's called walking meditation, which is just mindfully walking, walking in such a way that we can maintain presence. So when we do that, we're noticing our feet on the ground. We're noticing the grass, we're noticing the surroundings, we're staying in the present as much as we can. And again, when we're walking and we realize that we just forgot where we were and we were thinking about something else or worrying about work, we just come back to walking, feet on the ground, right foot, left foot, warmth of the sun, beautiful flower, you know, walking in presence. You can do that around your house just coming back to the present moment and being fully present by noticing our body in whatever space we're in. Now, it does make it a whole lot easier when you're in this beautiful environment. I was in Central Coast, California. It was gorgeous weather and sunny and beautiful flowers and nature everywhere. So yeah, if you can put yourself in that type of environment, it definitely makes it easier to be surrounded by beauty and quiet and all of those things and be outside of our normal, busy, crazy lives. But the point is that's just a practice ground. You know, really we can do this in our own home. We can do it at work. We can do it in the car. Anytime that we can bring ourselves back into our body and and keep ourselves in the present and notice what's going on around us, be aware, there's a huge element of peace that comes from that. Try it. Uh, Just try it and see. So the instructions are try it and see for yourself. I'm not at all saying that this works for everybody, but probably does. (laughs) Okay, and adding on to that, other easy things that you can do. When you're sitting or walking or doing the dishes or whatever you're doing in presence, this is something that everybody knows, but very few of us do. I forget to practice this all the time is doing a gratitude practice. So simply 
doing an inventory of what we're grateful for. One of the things I'm grateful for is my beautiful dog who's walking down the hall right now <laughs> and making funny footsteps while I'm making a video. Other things might be simple things. I'm grateful for this chair and the soft pillow. I'm grateful for my clothing. I'm grateful for the fact that I'm breathing air that is keeping me alive. Then I'm grateful for my lungs and all the cells inside my lungs. And you can just sort of go on and on and just be rained upon by gratitude when you start thinking about all of the things that are working in your favor. It's kind of overwhelming, actually, when you start thinking of all of the things that are working in your favor. The universe is literally working in your favor. We can breathe air. We have food to eat. Many of us are lucky enough that we actually have food that tastes really good to eat, and we've got choices about how to nourish ourselves, and we've got cars, and we've got homes, and air conditioning, and electricity, and it just gets kind of overwhelming uh, with gratitude when you start just paying attention to what is working for you. Because our natural tendency is to focus on what's not working. So going back to that idea, many of you have heard, this is a fact of neuroscience, that human beings are wired to focus on negative things because that's a survival mechanism. It's a really good idea to focus on danger because that keeps you alive keeps us alive as a species. It keeps every mammal alive, every sentient being is kept alive by focusing on things that are dangerous and moving away from them. And so we're constantly on the lookout for things that seem dangerous or negative, and that's why negative things are at the forefront of our thought processes most of the time. And positive things don't get much attention because they're not helpful for survival. Unless we intentionally pay attention to those things. So it doesn't mean that there's rainbows and unicorns everywhere and that suffering doesn't exist, not at all. It just means that it all is there. So there are things that are difficult and everybody goes to retreat with things that are difficult. I'll, I'll tell you about my particular thing that I was working with in the moment. So we go to a retreat or we sit down on the cushion or in our daily mindfulness practice with things that are difficult. But that's not the only guest at the party, as Vinny says. That is present, but what else is present? Let's not forget to focus on the things that are working for us, the ways in which the universe is working for us. And there are so many when we start writing an inventory. It might start with really easy ones, like the people in your life that you love. And then when you start getting down to the minutia, like I was mentioning, I mean, it's just endless, the things that are working for us. It's amazing and incredible. And, and when we start doing a gratitude practice, it just brings a smile to your face. I mean, give it a try if you haven't done it already. It's really difficult not to feel joyful when you're overwhelmed with gratitude. And so when we're in the space of retreat or your own quiet space at home, we can do a gratitude practice, and I'm committing to do that every day because it literally can change your perspective. On this particular day, I was sitting in a lot of suffering. I was really struggling with the meditation, and I was struggling coming, I was you know, working hard at it and, and not enjoying myself a whole lot the first day. And after the invitation to go do this walking and focus on gratitude, 
completely changed the lens that I was looking through because we choose the lens we look through. We can look through a lens of deficiency and poverty and not enough and all the things that are wrong and all the things that are lacking and all the things that are failing and all the ways that we're separate and lonely and etc. And that's not untrue, but it's not the only guest at the party, as I mentioned. We can shift our attention to all those things that are working for us. We don't have to stay over there. We're not living in fairyland. We still have problems to solve and so on. But just for that brief period of time, is it okay to let yourself just rust in that state of gratitude for a minute and just let it absorb it in, let it stick with you for a while? There's a very well-known neuroscientist named Rick Hansen who really studied this idea of letting the good in and rewiring our brain so that it doesn't automatically go off on that negativity path, that there's a different path. There's two paths. There are many paths. But just having an option of letting positive things be a more natural direction that our minds might go in, sometimes. It's a, it's a really beautiful practice. So just wanted to offer that as something that could be helpful. So I mentioned that I went to this retreat with a particular set of suffering, as we all do at different times. Uh, so I'm currently about to have my twins, who are seniors, go to college. And I'm, like many of you, facing this new phase of life that we call empty nest. And that's fantastic, right? All of the things we often talk about, about the second half of life being such an opportunity. You know, we've raised these beautiful, independent, fabulous children, and we're so excited for them to go off on their new journey and make their own path, and all of that's true. And then there's a lot of grief that goes along with that. And there's an opportunity to write an inventory of all the things you did as a parent. Was I good enough? You know, now that they're leaving and there's no more time to make things right. Did I do enough? Was I good enough? Well, you know, I don't know if you resonate with that, but that's what my mind was playing with. That, it's, a, it's a common issue, and it's really easy when we face these big life transitions to focus on the negative. Or we can go off in fairyland and just say that everything's fine and lovely and not honor both sides, right? I mean, both sides are true. And we get to choose which one we pay attention to. So I was coming into this retreat with this state of mind that was very anxious and worried and nervous about my children leaving and worried about whether I was a good enough parent. And all of that is part of a story. And I've talked about stories before. You know, in my coaching work, we often talk about the parts that we're all made of. Um, I talked about parts work in an earlier video. All of us have different voices or different parts that we're made of. Sometimes we're operating from our best self. Uh, there's a part that is the highest self. And then there are other parts that can be very childish, right? Does that resonate with anyone? So we have these different parts and they all have different voices. And I was pretty much stuck in a, a voice that was leading the conversation with a story about Maybe I wasn't good enough. Maybe I wasn't a good enough mother. I could have done better, like, et cetera. That critical voice, does that sound familiar? And so my experience coming in with that particular voice and story was just watching the story 
as an observer, in that quiet space, I was able to just listen to the story. And there's a technique that um, many of you might know, the author Byron Katie. I think she's quite amazing. Uh, she created a set of questions to ask oneself about our stories. And the first question is, is it true? And now voice will say, yeah, of course it's true. Let me give you all the evidence why it's true. I did this, I did that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Her next question is, can you be absolutely certain that it's true? <laughs> the point being, once we get into it a little bit, there's some space that develops where we can't be absolutely sure that it's true. Of course not. Maybe that's not true. Okay, I accept that. Maybe it's not true. If I accept that maybe it's not true, then I'm recognizing that it's a story. And if I have a story, there could be an opposite story. Because it's just a story, so if we're making up stories, why don't we make up some better ones, right? That's another thing that Benny says. They're all stories. Another story could be the opposite. You were a great parent. You did the best you could. You always loved your children. Your kids know that you love them. You've, been, you've set them up for success. All of these things. That's another possibility, right? Another question is, how do you feel when you believe that first story? Well, I feel small. I feel separate. I feel not good enough. I feel tight. I feel a lot of unpleasant emotions. And how would you feel or who would you be if you could let go of that story? And that question is always so powerful. If I could let go of that story of not being good enough, I would be free. I would be happy. I would be generous. I would have an abundant love to give. I would be freed from this tightness and this untrue story of not being good enough. I know many of you resonate with that because it's a human experience. Everybody in the room was having some kind of not good enough story come up. So we get to choose if we believe our stories or not. And I do love those questions. Are you absolutely sure it's true? And the answer always is no. <laughs> you can't be because it's a story. What's an opposite story? Just for fun, even if you don't believe it, just make up an opposite story. They're just stories. Who would you be if you didn't believe that story, the first one, the negative one? And then why not just let go of it? And letting go is an interesting concept, too, because, you know, we laugh about this a lot at this retreat. We laughed about it a lot. I've let a lot of things go, and they didn't go. It's like, off you go. I let you go. Didn't you realize I let you go? Why are you still here, <laughs> right? Uh, they're not going to go away just because we let them go. So maybe a better way of wording it is just let it be. L let it be here. But don't engage with it so much, and maybe don't believe that it's true. So the, the letting go thing is a little bit funny. I think it gets a bit um, overrated, because when we try to let things go and then they don't leave, we can feel like we failed. But these things are part of us. They're not going to disappear. The not enough story, the story of poverty, I mean poverty of not enoughness, I didn't do enough, I did it wrong, the stories of failure, all the things that we didn't do, the shame associated with the behaviors that we've not been proud of, the, all of that stuff, right? That is part of human nature because of that survival instinct. We want to focus on 
all the ways that we could do better so that we can stay alive. And that's just the way the human mind is wired. So it's not personal. Don't take responsibility for that. You didn't invent the human brain. And then moving forward, understand that we have the choice. We've got this incredible ability to choose what we pay attention to. So finding some still space, doing a generosity practice every day, looking at your stories as an observer without jumping in bed with them, and the ones that are not serving us, ask those questions. Is there an opposite story that could be equally true? And who would I be if I could just let go of that story? I, I mean, just even thinking about it makes me feel so happy. Just, you know, that story's going to keep coming up. But if I can, for example, in my personal situation, and yours is different, but hopefully you can resonate and apply this to what you might be going through. If I can lighten up on that story and just believe that there's a possibility that it's not true, and keep reminding myself that if I am able to lighten up on that story, I would be free, I would be happy. Then in this situation, as my kids go off to college, I can move back into that space whenever I get anxious, nervous, lonely, judgmental, etc. Move myself back into that space, ask myself those questions again, and it creates joyfulness and freedom. And we can do this, like we have a choice it's not always easy. This is in the simple but not easy category. But we do have a choice in that way of how to change the flavor of our experience. So my experience could be miserable, depressing, judgmental, all of those things. Or my experience could be much more pleasant for everybody involved. Because when I'm in that judgmental space and feeling very tight and negative and ugh, that energy is put out into the world. And this, this is something that I've experienced and you might have too. When I'm in that space, so I was doing my walking meditation and doing my gratitude practice and finally would say, oh, okay, I, the story has lost some power. Saying it out loud actually is a really good idea. Like when you say the stories out loud, uh, they, they lose their power or even writing them down. You know, but whatever those stories are that really are just eating at your soul and we all have them saying them out loud, doing those exercises. When we're in that space where we're like, oh, free, you know, I'm free from my stories, and it's not permanent. You know, we'll have to do this exercise over and over. Funny things happen. Um, it sounds magical, but people, animals, people gravitate towards you. You know, when you're in that space and exuding that type of energy, you become someone that people want to be around. I was walking around and dogs and deer and other animals kind of seemed to want to hang out with me. Yes, it sounds a bit crazy, but these things actually really happen. The energy that we're putting out completely changes the field around us. So that is a bit of a responsibility, isn't it? Because we don't want to be putting out negative energy into the world. And when I'm in that state of not enoughness, poverty, don't like myself, wish I'd done something different, shame, blame, separation, etc. I don't feel like someone that people want to be around. I'm giving off an energy of I don't have enough. And so in that space of not having enough, I certainly don't have anything to give. 
So think about that for a second, that this really occurs to me regularly. If I'm in a space of not enoughness, poverty, not having enough, not loving myself, not liking what's happening, I certainly don't have enough for myself and I for sure don't have enough to give. It's only from a space of abundance or feeling like we are enough, we have plenty to go around, we love ourselves, we've got love flowing. Only from that space could we possibly love someone else or give to someone else or be generous. It's just mathematics if you think about it. So sometimes we wonder why I've had friends ask me this sometimes. Why is it that people don't approach me or that, uh, you know, I go to, I'm single and I'm not being um, approached by others or I don't get hit on at a bar like other people do? You know, some people just have an energy of, hey, come up to me, approach me. And some people have an energy of stay away. And, and I know both uh, myself. I mean, think, think about the energy that we're projecting into the world. And again, we have a choice. Isn't that a beautiful idea that we have a choice? <laughs> so that's why we go to a silent meditation retreat. And if those of you who are lucky enough to have that opportunity, I would absolutely give it a try. It sounds really scary, but it's one of the most amazing transformative experiences that you could have. And in between, or if you're not able to do that or don't want to, you can do these things every day. Make that space for yourself every day. Create a gratitude practice. Don't believe your thoughts. Those are my three pieces of wisdom for the day. And then don't beat yourself up because you're not able to do it perfectly. Don't make this another thing that you have to be perfect at. I mean, these are really vulnerable things to talk about, but we're all human beings. We're so unique and we're so alike. It's not personal. It's not your story. It's just the story of being a human being in this culture. And in as much as we can share that with each other, I hope there's some freedom around this idea that I'm the only one, I'm alone, something's wrong with me. Because I promise you're not alone. The story that there's something wrong with you is not true. <laughs> there's an opposite story that if you were allowed yourself to believe that one would free you and allow you to be happy, generous, all of those things. Make sense? So I hope that was helpful. I hope you learned something today. That was my experience this weekend. We get to do another retreat, uh, May 5th through the 8th. Our retreat is full. I'm so grateful. Yay, it's going to be incredible. So I'll update you on that, how that goes. Now that is not a silent meditation retreat, but we are doing some yoga, meditation, some contemplation, some gratitude practices. We're putting this into work in little small doses throughout the day. So there are lots of different kinds of retreat. And retreat for you might mean going to the beach or walking in nature or just sitting in a quiet place in your house or in your office. We have to make it something that's possible. So if you enjoyed this, don't forget to subscribe, share it with your friends, and I can't wait to see you next week. Mm -hmm.